Hi, guys. Welcome to What Sarah Said, a podcast by me, Sarah Hackwith. I'm a certified eating psychology coach who struggled with my own food and body image challenges for about 15 years. And this podcast is where we're going to dive into all of the things that I wish I knew back then when I was struggling. We'll talk about what it means to be truly healthy, how to overcome some of the most common eating and body image challenges, and how to step into our power in a really big way. Today, we're actually getting pretty vulnerable, and I'm sharing my story with you all about where my disordered eating challenges and body dysmorphia started, what made it worse, how I overcame a lot of those challenges, and where I am today. Hopefully, this episode gives you some hope, inspiration, and ideas for how to tackle some of your own personal challenges head on as well. Hello, y'all. Welcome back to the What Sarah Said podcast with me, Sarah Hackwith. And uh, yes, I am coming to you live from the floor of my closet, which if you've ever seen my apartment, you know is hilarious. But it is windy and there is construction right outside my apartment. My dog is chewing bones and squeaker toys loud. This is where we're at. This is the glamorous life of having your own independent startup podcast and business, y'all. So just keeping it real. We are not fancy over here in my household. Today, we are chatting all about my story, actually, which I know people don't always like to listen to other people talk. But I do think that this will be helpful and hopefully supportive of people who may be going through their own food and body image challenges uh, because I'm just like you in a lot of ways. And yes, my story is my story and there may be some unique moments, but at the end of the day, we're all fighting a pretty similar battle. So I'm hoping that what I share with you can give you some hope, some insight, um, some inspiration, and we're going to dive in. My voice, if you haven't already noticed, is a little raspy. I call it my sexy voice. I have been avoiding recording this podcast for the last several days, trying to get it to a point where it sounds a little bit less raspy, but it's not happening. So we're going to just dive in. Done is better than perfect, right? That's what I'm working on right now. So my story with eating challenges, body dysmorphia, all that good stuff. Actually, I know this is going to sound weird. It actually started before I was born. I believe that there's some generational trauma in this realm that's kind of been passed down from family members to me. And I kind of view my role in my family line as someone who is kind of like a trauma bonds breaker. It's my job, my duty, my honor, my purpose to change the narrative that's existed in my story and my family's story for quite some time in this regard. So while I may have been exposed to other people's food and body challenges when I was much younger, I can say with confidence that being a pre-professional and professional dancer was really where a lot of those feelings and sensations took off. It's where I felt like I kind of went into an incubator that helped the challenges that I already had grow at an exponential rate. And it's why I'm one of the few people in my family who has acknowledged that I had a problem and sought to try to fix it. So it's a good thing. Uh, It's not a bad thing. I view the challenges that I was given as a gift. I view them as part of my purpose. And I think that they are here to teach me some of my greatest lessons, which I feel like I have very gratefully been learning over the last four to five years. And it's my responsibility to use those lessons that I have learned to help other people. That's that's my thing, y'all. That's what I'm here for. So started 
at a very young age, grew as I went through middle school and high school and into college as a dancer. I think all of us have a place where our challenges might start or we can trace it back to. And even though, like I said, mine probably go back further than my memory, I definitely have some incidences that made the challenges feel more concrete and made them really come to life. One of them that I think of immediately was when I was 14 years old and my ballet teacher who was trained in communist Russia from a very, very strict and rigid background, she pulled me aside and told me that I needed to go on the grapefruit diet and eat half of a grapefruit before every meal because I needed to boost my metabolism and suppress my appetite. She also told me that I needed to only eat fruit after 6 p.m., but also that I shouldn't eat after 6 p.m. because it's bad for the metabolism and that I needed to be going on walks so that I was getting more exercise so that I could burn more calories because going to two to three hours of dance every night and four to five hours on weekend days as a high schooler wasn't enough to burn calories apparently. So... Unfortunately, that was something that played into a lot of the challenges that I think my mom had with food. And I just want to say before I say any of this that I never want anyone to think ill of my mother because I have the best mother. She loves me beyond. And everything that she did was out of love for me because she wanted me to be happy and she wanted me to achieve the dreams that I talked about and that we had sacrificed so much for as a family. So she heard that she was on board and she made it a point to make me different meals from the rest of the family. If she ever made cookies or desserts, she would hide them from me. The rest of the family would know where they were, but I wouldn't. She would follow me into the kitchen to make sure that I wasn't going to go sneak food because that was something that I did. I ate in secret a lot. It's hard to share that because I don't want that to come back to her and I never want her to think that I think ill of those behaviors because I see them for what they are and that was her trying to support me so that I could do what I wanted to because I wasn't getting cast in the roles that I deserved because of my physical body, which is also effed up, but that's the reality. It also played into some things that I think she had been dealing with for her whole life And it was just like a perfect storm. So I finished high school, ended up going to TCU for ballet and modern dance, immediately gained like 15 to 20 pounds because the cafeteria was buffet style and I had no self-control. And for the first time, I didn't have to eat in secret because like I didn't know anyone and like no one cared. I also found beer for the first time ever and was not sleeping and was not really active the way that I was previously, even though I was dance major, I was dancing. My lifestyle was just so different. So very quickly gained weight. My parents sat me down at Christmas time and told me that if I didn't take this more seriously, I could return home and go to UNLV and get a degree in hotel management or something of the sort because they were helping me pay some of my tuition to go to TCU as a dance major. But I did not look like the type of dancer that people would hire. And they knew that. And so they said, fat dancers don't get jobs. It's a hard reality. We don't like saying it to you, but it's true. So you need to do a better job. I know that they were in a hard place and having to say that. I know that there was no malintent from the 
those words. It ended up taking care of itself because I got mono really, really bad my second semester uh, pretty much immediately. And the weight did come off by the time I was a sophomore in college. But that summer between freshman and sophomore year, I worked out like a crazy person and did not eat very much. So it wasn't just the mono. That really was where things began to kick into high gear for me. The rest of college kind of went off as normal. Like I was a normal college student with an eating disorder. We ate salad with chicken. We limited the dressing that we put on it. We binge drank on the weekends and then we would punish ourselves by going and running on the treadmill for an hour, even though I hated running with all my heart, doing the Stairmaster and things like that, you know, making diet versions of foods and drinking only Crystal Light with our vodka because it was zero calories. Like you guys know what I'm talking about because you've been there. You've done it. I know you have. I know you have because my story is not a unique story in that regard. Left college, moved back to Boise, and that's where I decided that I was going to get healthy. Now, that was certainly a time and a place and a space where my eating disorder was running pretty rampant. I moved back to Boise. I had never lived there before. I grew up in Las Vegas. My parents moved there right before I graduated from college. I knew no one. I worked in an office. I trained with a small dance company there. I didn't hardly have any friends, and eventually I lived by myself. Living by myself was awesome because I didn't have to hide any of my behaviors from anyone. I had a red bikini that I hung up in my kitchen that was a size too small for me that I had bought as like motivation. And I was drinking little detox drinks every morning when I woke up and eating these like little tiny breakfasts and going for little jogs and doing walking lunges and planks and things like that all over my tiny little 400 square foot apartment. No one had to see the obsession. It was just mine. And when I like looked back, I would think that was honestly when I was the happiest in my life. But I don't believe that's true. That was my eating disorder being the highest that it was. It was the most intense. And I was the thinnest. And so my eating disordered body dysmorphia brain viewed the thinnest I ever was as the happiest I ever was. Maybe you can relate. Eventually, I realized that I needed to be with people. I needed to be in a different place. I'd always dreamed of living in New York City. So I moved to New York. I packed three suitcases on wheels and managed to maneuver all three of them through the airport on a New York City street. I would like take two and leave one behind like 100 feet. And then I would like leave the two, go back for the one. And I did that the whole way up to these acquaintances that I knew from TCU's apartment. And I stayed on their couch for a week. I got a job off of Craigslist. I got into an apartment in Brooklyn off of the worst possible train line ever. I loved it. I loved every single second of it. And it was in New York that I started to realize that like life was more than just dance and food. And in fact, that's where I stepped out of the dance world. I began a kind of a different life for me. I left dance performance behind and I moved into the realm of fitness. And I still taught dance cardio. I still felt like I had this rather performative platform, but I shifted a little bit and I began working out for the first time, like actual working out, not dancing. And so I began developing these like muscles and seeing my body change. And it was really exhilarating and and addicting. And I had just this obsession with like eating healthy and it didn't help that I was involved with this industry where the next hottest thing was always being talked about. This procedure, that powder, this pill, it 
it was all very much a part of everything that we did. And so it fed into what I suffered from, which is orthorexia. And if you don't know what orthorexia is, it's an obsession with being healthy. It's an obsession with eating the right things at the right times, you know, doing everything right within food. And it's just extreme anxiety around all of this stuff. And to be honest, it wasn't really considered an eating disorder until much more recently because most of the time when people think eating disorder, they think anorexia and they think bulimia. They think starving yourself or throwing up. And orthorexia doesn't fall into those categories, but it very much is incredibly detrimental. And it's also not to say that I didn't occasionally make myself throw up, that I didn't occasionally starve myself or skip a meal because I thought that it was helping me save calories somewhere. I did those things. I absolutely did. I just didn't do them all the time. That wasn't my main thing, right? And I was teaching fitness classes, so I like needed fuel. I, I couldn't throw up everything I ate. I couldn't just not eat. I couldn't do that. I ended up leaving New York in 2015. I was only there for a couple of years, and me leaving was just a tremendous blow. It was... <laughs> one of those times where all the walls just feel like they're crumbling down around you and you just have to like crawl into your little hole and stay there for a while. I went through a terrible breakup about two months before I left New York with someone who I had been on again, off again with for years since college. And when we broke up, he actually told me that one of the things that he couldn't stand was being with me because I was so unconfident. And I like masqueraded like I had confidence and people thought that I was confident. And I walked into the room and I had a great figure and nothing to be ashamed of. And yet I I needed validation all the time. And I was just so uncomfortable behind the scenes. And he was like, it's such a turnoff. I like can't be with someone who doesn't see themselves the way the rest of the world sees them. That was hard to hear. Just going to throw that out there. At the same time, my sister also told me that she hated eating around me because I made her feel weird about food. I was very judgmental about others' food. I was always trying to educate people on like why they should or shouldn't eat certain foods or when they should or shouldn't eat them, which was my orthorexia, just like stepping up to the table because I was that was my personality at the time. And all of those things combined with massive tax debt from not knowing what 1099 taxes were living in New York City. My body just completely giving out on me terrible adrenal fatigue. I just I just left and I went home to my parents' house, moved back in with them and stared at the wall for like three weeks trying to figure out what the heck to do with my life. And eventually I realized I needed to stop teaching fitness for a while. So I actually got a job, which was such a godsend, at a small concert venue in Boise and I was their office manager and their contract administrator. And it was so amazing amazing, you guys, to work and not have people look at my body and judge my body as a part of my work. Like I was not in the public eye, you know, I wasn't a celebrity by any means, but you know what I mean? Like I wasn't visible to other people in that way. My body wasn't important. And I got to surround myself with people who were just normal people. They were normal eaters. And I had never been around normal eaters in my life because I grew up around people who were always making commentary about food and had food anxiety. I grew up around dancers. My friends were in the fitness industry. Everyone I knew was constantly on a diet. And these people were the first people I ever spent time with who were not. And it blew my mind. And this was where my healing journey really starts, where I began to kind of like take a step back and go, okay, these things that people have said about you, about the way you make them feel, about the way that you like take up space in a room, not good, not great. 
I don't want to be known like that. So how did I start to heal? I feel like there's kind of two layers. Layer one happened when I was in Boise. First part of that was that I got a job where my body was not the focal point, where my body didn't matter. And I was allowed to just be Sarah. And I started to come up with my own identity. Like, who am I outside of my physical body? I also didn't have any full-length mirrors in my house. At first, it was just in my parents' house out of necessity because they didn't have one. But then I realized how helpful it was for me. So I just like never got one. And I'm now, six years later, finally at the point in time where I'm about ready to add full-length mirrors back into my life. But I haven't had one in my home this entire time. I also decided that I was going to start living my life, that I was going to get out there and develop new hobbies, and I was going to develop new interests, and I was going to become a person that others wanted to hang out with. And I'm not going to lie, I didn't grow up with tons of friends because I was busy at dance. And I was very social in college, but I've always been someone who kind of carried with me into my early 20s this idea that I like couldn't make a lot of friends or have a lot of friends. And I finally decided that that wasn't true. And I began to be someone who had more to me than just my obsession with food or my obsession with exercise. And I want to be very clear and state that it didn't immediately change. It wasn't like automatically better. It's been a process. I definitely still at this point in time, this was about four, four and a half years ago, I still had a lot of food fears, food rules, things that I thought that I had to do. I still very much held a belief that I kind of needed to be a certain weight, but at least I was on my path to diversifying my interests and what my everyday life looked like. And that was super important for me. Emotional healing and changing patterns and things that you've held on to for so long takes time. We have to give ourselves some grace when we're on this journey. We're not going to wake up tomorrow and suddenly like be super free around food and be unbothered by diet culture bullshit that you find on Instagram or magazines or bombarding you on TV. It's not going to happen overnight. Self-love and compassion and acceptance does not happen overnight, but it does happen by moving forward one day at a time, one step at a time, one meal at a time, one outfit at a time, one event at a time. And each time you just keep your promise to yourself that what is more important and what is more valuable is who you're becoming through making these decisions. You're making decisions for future you. How do I want to be? I want to be someone who is interesting and has more things to her than her obsession with exercise and with eating healthfully. Well, if that's true, then I have to act that way when I'm in situations where I'm given the opportunity to do so. I was in Boise after leaving New York City for about two and a half years, and I did eventually start teaching fitness classes again. I took a little over a year off, and then I jumped in and started teaching indoor cycling. And I'm so grateful that I did. I still love and teach indoor cycling. It's something that I've been very passionate about ever since I got my start in that place over four years ago. And I'm so grateful to have had that platform. The cycling studio that I was teaching for, they were a really large franchise. So I was able to relocate to Dallas, which is a place that I knew I'd kind of always envisioned myself ending back up in. And it ended up being such a great fit for me. I was still on my journey. I was still learning. I will never forget about 
nine months after I moved to Dallas, I was going home to visit my family. And and I had recently gotten some fat burner pills because I was going to a music festival and I typically would try to slim down a little before going to music festivals. I was excited to have these fat burners because I could take them when I was on my trip and my vacation and I knew I wasn't going to be exercising as much or eating as diligently and as cleanly as I normally did. I realized when my friend picked me up to go to the airport that I had left them in my apartment. And so we drove back real quick and I was like, I forgot something. I got to run upstairs and grab them. So I went running upstairs and my roommate, who thought that I was gone for the next like week, had dead bolted the door and she was in the shower. She couldn't hear me knocking at the door, pounding on the door, trying frantically to get her attention. And I had to leave without the fat burners because I knew that I was going to be late. I was so mad. And my best friend saw me in a state that I'm really not proud of. And I don't know if she's ever seen me like that before. And I realized later, I'm like, I was in like a rage over freaking fat burner pills because I was going on vacation and I wasn't going to be working out as much. Y'all, that was like a another one of those moments where I was like, uh-huh. Okay. So we're still not quite there yet. We still have some healing to do. And that healing journey was slow and steady for the next couple of years. And fast forward to 2020, quarantine happens. We all are relegated to our apartments and I'm in my 500 square foot apartment by myself with my food. And I basically just said, you know what? We're going to freaking do this. We're going to get over it. We are going to face some of these food rules, face some of these food fears, and deal with your exercise obsession for once and for all. I didn't have like any workout equipment in my apartment pretty much the entire time. And I also couldn't really do much because our floors and ceilings and walls are so thin in the apartment that I currently live in for one more week. So I went on walks a lot and I let that be enough. And I slept and I rested. I also decided to lean in to food cravings and things that I had wanted to include in my diet for a really long time and had not allowed myself to include. That meant that when I went to the grocery store, I was making decisions that were for future Sarah. How would future Sarah act around cookies? Would I shun them and restrict them or would I embrace them and allow them into my home? So the most healthy thing I could do, and I know this seems counterintuitive, was to buy the cookies and the candy and the chips and the chocolate. And I did. And I allowed myself the ability to lean into my hunger cues and to eat basically whatever I wanted. And you know what's really interesting is I actually lost some weight in quarantine and I definitely lost some muscle mass, but like I lost weight. And as soon as we got back, into the swing of things. We jumped back into the real world. My stress levels came back. I began to be less intentional about my food choices in terms of like eating mindfully and slowly. I noticed that some of that weight began to creep back on again. And I don't fault my body for that. And I allowed myself to continue to lean into not exercising as much and experimenting with and playing with my food. I allowed myself to continue doing that even though my pants were getting a little bit tighter because... I'm making decisions for future Sarah. And future Sarah doesn't get bothered by shit like that. Future Sarah knows that I am more than whatever the size of my pants is. Future Sarah knows that in order to get over the trigger of some of these foods, I have to normalize them for my brain, which means that I have to expose myself to them repeatedly. It means I have to stop making them so interesting. And the way you do that is by allowing yourself to have it. 
And so I did. And that was honestly all of my 2020. And I can say now I feel so at peace with food, like so at peace with food in my body that even though some of my clothes don't fit, I'm like not concerned. And we're here in January of 2021. And I'm like, meh. People say that this is the time to like lose weight and clean up and da 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 da. And I don't feel a push to do that. I don't feel like that is necessary at this point in time. And that is the wildest thing, y'all. I cannot explain to you from the girl who would go make herself throw up at parties because she had eaten like the entire dessert table and she didn't want it to like metabolize, but then she still wanted to keep eating to here I am now, where a box of cookies can sit in my pantry for like a week. Shit's wild, man. I just cannot express to you how crazy that is. And if you take nothing else from this particular podcast and conversation, I hope you understand that if I can do it, you can do it. I was deep in the obsession, y'all. And I have every reason to continue to do that being someone who teaches fitness classes. We can do this together. We can overcome these challenges. Food is inanimate. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be someone that's controlled by inanimate things. I control myself. And the beautiful thing about intuitive eating and about leaning into this healing your relationship with food is that you're letting go. And in letting go, you regain your power. It's amazing. It's the most incredible paradigm ever. And I want you to find that. So if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my gosh, it doesn't seem possible, but she said it's possible. I am at the end of my rope. I can't continue doing this anymore. I feel you. I hear you. That was me. My Purpose Driven Body Program 12-week program is closed. We started this week. I will be running it again a couple more times this year. I am still working with clients one-on-one. That is always available. Follow me at Sarah Hacks on Instagram. And I'm going to link that in the episode notes and shoot me a DM and let's talk about one-on-one coaching. But I also have some very exciting other things in the works coming down the pipeline in the next month or so that I'm very pumped to share with y'all. If you're curious, but you're not ready to take the full dive, you're ready to start scratching the surface and that's okay. I want you to know that that is absolutely something to be applauded and proud of. You guys, I absolutely could talk about this all day long. I'm clearly uber passionate about it. I am here for any questions you might have. I'm here for anything that you want to talk about. Seriously, slide in those DMs. I love you. I'm so grateful if you listened all the way to the end. Thank you. I feel you. I'm I'm just cheering you on no matter where you are on this journey, y'all. I will see you back here next week. Love ya. Bye.